Welcome to Casting Nets. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Dave Rudot. I am joined here with my, our other co-host, Pastor Will Harley. Hello. And we have a special guest today, um, Mrs. Rochelle Manzano, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she's got a lot of really cool acronyms at the end of her name. She is, uh, I can figure out the LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist. That one was right. You got it. But what are some of the other acronyms that you have? Sure. Um, some of the other acronyms that I have behind my name is, um, we, we, we say it as SACIT, S-A-C-I-T. That just stands for Substance Abuse Counselor in Training. It just means that I um, there's some requirements that I haven't met yet in order to be considered a licensed um, substance abuse counselor. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And this is a therapy approach that has been proven to be very successful in helping with people with trauma. Um, actually, the VA recognizes it as a leading therapy approach for veterans. Mm. And then um, BCTMH stands for Board Certified Telemental Health. Oh, cool. Tell so them it means, help. Yep, yeah. it just means that I've taken classes to be the best therapist over telehealth as possible. And you are a licensed marriage and family therapist in Appleton and at uh, two of our area Lutheran high schools at Fox Valley Lutheran High School, is that correct? And Manitowoc Lutheran High School? Yep. You're um, alma mater, right? Yes. Yeah, so... Um, it's really... Um, we're really pleased to have you here with us and I just... Just as a way of introducing yourself to our listeners, in one minute, could or could or about, could you tell us why you wanted to be a licensed marriage and family therapist? Yeah, that's that's a really really good question. Um, and and once I fell into the profession, I realized how passionate I was about it. Um, I can't tell you that when I was eighteen, I knew that this is what I was going to be. But God has a way of leading us to where He needs us to be in life, right? And I guess the thing that kind of started it was just kind of seeing um, people in my family struggling um, more specifically in divorce. Mm. And that's probably what led me to go towards the family, marriage and family therapy side of it, not the licensed professional counselor. And, and really my, th my one main thought was if I, you know, if I can help anybody not have to struggle through what I saw in my family, that would be a great goal in life. That is an awesome uh, vocation, and it is an, a thoroughly needed one as far as we see of all the broken families that we have. And the topic for today, which is our mental, uh, teen mental health. And before we get into our topic, we, of course, need a disclaimer. And our disclaimer is, as usual, the things that we discuss on this show is is now a broadening discussion, not only of two pastors who are just spouting off what's at the top of their head, but also now an actual trained professional who will be adding some um, depth to our conversation and actual facts to what it is that we talk about. But if there are things that are said in the broadcast, um, please realize we are not intentionally trying to aggravate you, um, but you can turn us off, come back later, uh, fast forward a little bit over what we have said so that you're not... Just things that I say, right? 
Well, or, you know, it depends. He's in a mood today. <laughs> yes, I am in a mood. <laughs> but uh, as we do go along, we do want to uphold the teachings of our church bodies that have called us, as well as the teachings of our Lord in his scriptures and in the confessions. And so please hold us accountable to those things. Uh, but everything else are just our ramblings and our thoughts as we live our life here in faith and have an opportunity uh, to share that faith with you. And so... Uh, I will have some music, and we'll get into our topic, yeah? Uh, if anybody, we, this is also meant to be a, uh, this is me being in my moods of trying to keep things uh, professional, and that is is that this is a podcast that's meant to be a beginning of a conversation, not the end. It's not just meant to be our ranting, but uh, a, an opening of a, of a topic, out of a conversation. Please have a conversation with us, um, Pastor Will Harley at St. John and Maribel or at Emmanuel and Shirley. Uh, most of our feedback we get is from in person, but you can also go to our Facebook page and contact us that way, or you can email us at castingnetspod at gmail. And and we have that new. We're on a new server. Yeah, right? we're on a new yeah new Podbean. Podbean. Yep. Yeah they 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 took our money. So yeah. So if you have a if your podcast, you probably don't notice this if you are auto- automatically subscribing to your podcasting platform. But if you are going to a web page, um, you're going to have to go to a put a different uh, um, a link on your on your favorites. Yep, absolutely. All right, here we go. is the topic for today and um as we're uh, speaking with rochelle is that okay if i call you rochelle or that would be great uh, i can just you can call us dave and you can call me dave and and will will yeah, we're we're not collective dave we're, we're not collective we don't identify as they we are identifying as will and dave um please feel free to do, uh, do bob that and tom. Uh, bob and tom yeah so back back to the topic uh, a lot of times when people look at the teens and what's going on today, they'll just say, well, these are just a bunch of snowflakes and uh, they should take it on the chin like we did. And, and Rochelle, how would you respond to that? Yeah, that's that's definitely probably things that are being said, especially in this West uh, Midwest community, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll admit I have said that to my own children, uh, the word they've complained and yeah. they have have but whatever and i'm like you're just being a bunch of snowflakes just suck it up and move on so i that's a good question yeah and <laughs> and mental health is a is a is an important issue i mean as you talked about uh early in the introduction talking about how families are needing uh, needing help uh to keep going to keep in their vocation that god has called them to be in and uh and and there can be strategies that we can use that help uh, families stay together and and help teens get through uh, a very difficult time in their lives. So I guess coordinating with this first question, though, I mean, this idea of snowflakes isn't new. I mean, it's really I've I've started to hear this term being used in the last, and not just here in the Midwest, but you know when we were in in South Dakota as well, it was going around you know five ten years ago. Um, where is this? I I mean, is is there just a drastic difference between the generations so much that 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 there is this weakness that is is really evident or is this just a more awareness of mental health that's causing us 
older people to say, we never had to deal with that and suck it up. I mean, is that what's going on or is there really a weakness that is being uh, probably a bad way to phrase the question? Is, is there more of a problem now than there ever was? And that's what we're noticing. Or was there always this problem? And now we're actually getting help for it. And the older people are like, no one helped me. So now I'm going to make fun of you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And like my response to that is probably a, a, a little of both. Right. Like we can trace this all the way back to the fall of man. Right. Where and, and what you saw is you just saw the in, intergenerational themes follow from generation to generation from from that point on. Right. So I don't know if it's any different in that aspect. I do think that there are some environmental things going on today that probably contribute to maybe we're seeing more mental health stuff. It could be the food that we're eating, right? The way that we're making products mm. um, and using them. I, I can't say that we can dismiss that either, right? But I'm going to use this example, and, and maybe this is an example that we're going to use throughout the whole podcast. Um, I think I'm going to give two. One is going to be like... Let's think about it from this aspect. If you break a bone, what do you do? You go to the doctor, right? You don't sit there and say, oh, I think I'm, my, my arm is just going to heal on its own. I think it will, but, but think about the problems that you're going to have based on that bone healing not correctly, right? Um, or a car. Let's, let's talk about a car, Right. We can talk about something smaller, a car that's leaking oil. Do you just keep driving the car, hoping that the problem is going to fix itself? No, you're going to take it into the shop. Right. And say, hey, there's something going on. Let's look at it from a mental health perspective. If you're if something is going on in your brain, just like you're a broken arm or, or leaking oil, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I probably need some help. And I think that's where you come to the awareness, right, of like, if if something's not working right, or if I'm struggling mentally, let's get some help. But I think, you know, that and, and that's a really, that is a really good illustration. And I'm, 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 I think it's a good thing to start thinking about the aspects and different, you know, thinking it from a different way. But I, to me, approaching mental health, one of the things that I think makes it very, very difficult is, okay, so... My son broke his wrist um, some years ago, and I walked in, and I could. And he would lift up his arm, and <laughs> it's dangling. <laughs> you can tell it's broken. Um, things aren't. It's not functioning right. I know. I can look at my own wrist. And I can say this is a normal wrist. That's not a normal wrist. Um, that's not. That doesn't work. But when you look at mental health, I, I think at least the stigma that I can see in my own head is, and, and one of the things that's hard for me to understand is. I'm not exactly sure what a normal brain is supposed to look like because I don't think anybody is what you could say normal. You know, we all have this different spectrum. Sure. Um, I dealt with autism, uh, people who had autism and, and everybody is autistic to a certain extent. Some people are just on a, on, on, on the spectrum better than others yep. and they're functional. I found that all people have uh, obsessive compulsive issues. Just some people are more, functional (laughs) with it and so when we look at mental health the thing that I've I've always struggled with with mental health is what is the normal that we're looking at and saying okay you're not that 
and so now you need help. Especially and, and, for a teen. Right. And, yeah. and and that's my problem. Like when I look at my kids and I see that they all of a sudden break down in the middle of a store for some stupid reason, I'm like, okay, suck it up. Let's move on. This isn't a big deal. But is it a big deal? And and how do I know if it's a big deal and how do I don't know if it's a big deal? Because I look at it and I'm like, well, this isn't, I look at it, that's not a thing for me to break down about, but it's a thing that they're breaking down about. But if I follow that course of logic, everything becomes something that's on the scale of, is it well it's not not normal for me but it's normal for them and so you know what i'm saying it, you know where do we get this gauge what what is the gauge and the parameter of which we can say we've stepped over the acceptable and now we really have a problem yeah and i you know like part of our of us being ethical as therapists is like we do not push values beliefs um ideas on on our clients right and so who's to say that someone comes in and says, oh, yeah, I had this really bad thing happen, you know, when I was deployed, but I don't want to work on that. But their coping skill for that is to just avoid. Right. Mm. Well, who's, that's men who's, in general. <laughs> <laughs> Our coping skill. Who, right. Who's right. to come and say that 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 particular person should get therapy for that. Right. As a maybe as a mental health provider, I'm going to look at it and say, Maybe you're continuing that pattern, that intergenerational pattern that maybe isn't the the healthiest. But if you're coping in life that way, that's their prerogative, right? So I'm going to say the one word that comes to my mind is impact. So, yeah, I see the face that you're making. It's how is the mental health impacting that person's life? So your, your kid who maybe isn't handling stress the same way that you do, is it impacting their life or not? So in, in, in a negative way? Yes. Okay. Or you avoiding, is that impacting your family in a negative way? Maybe that's when you need to realize, not you specifically, but like the adult needs to realize, maybe I can live my life avoiding, but I don't want my family to have to live my life of avoidance. So it is really that um, becomes a, a really tough parameter, I yes. would have to say, because, um, you know, each person has mankind is very adaptable and yes. we can learn to live with a lot yep. and learn to live around a lot. And so um, when if you're going to use the parameter of of uh, a, a impact in the, in the parameter of what I can avoid and what I can work, it's really easy for me to say. I can work within this framework and I can work within this. I, I just think back to, sorry, I'm jumping, but I think back into generations where, where you had huge alcohol problems um, within homes, especially with, with men coming home and they would drink a lot coming from work. They worked around it. I mean, families didn't say anything about it. They, they, there was the structure that said, nope, this is okay. We're, we're managing, we're working. And they did. They, they worked their way through it and, and, and nothing, no one ever thought anything of it. But now we look back and we're like, that was horrible. How, right. Why would anybody ever want to live like that? And right. so how much of, how much of, again, not on our sheet and I apologize, but it just brings it up. Um, how much of the impact is the people around us are saying it's impacting me because I don't want to deal with it. And so I'm going to make you deal with it as opposed to 
it really it's not something that couldn't be lived with. And I'm not saying that there aren't cases where, no, definitely, I think you need to get help. I'm just saying how much of it has been overblown because no one else wants to deal with it. You know, we really don't want to deal with someone else's baggage. Right. So you need to get help because. Well, and that's where I come back to that broken arm or the leaking oil. If if you're looking back and saying, I can tell that my childhood impacted me today. Why do I want to do that to my family? At that point, that's when you're noticing that the oil is leaking. Okay. Uh. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. Where and I'm so seeing the thing not, repeated, and yes. I didn't necessarily like it, although yes. I lived through it. Yep. Got it. Okay. What are some of the other stigmas that teens have about uh, approaching themselves, approaching mental health issues in in their own lives? I think the biggest one is going to be um, judgment, oh. judgment by others, judgment by peers specifically. Which so there's be- still a stigma that even though we're living in a in a day and age where well, I think mental health is becoming more of a a thing, right? I mean, we have mental health month, we have I mean those right. are more so so you're saying that still within the 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 kid framework of, of the mind that that is a uh, a problem that they're going to seek counseling? Yes. I think it's across the board. Really? Mhm. Yeah, and then as parents going into seeing a, and having their kids see somebody uh, like you, the stigma would be, well, if it's not that big of a deal, I only only the big issues go to the licensed um, marriage and family therapist, but not just like you were saying, you know, something I, the way I'm handling the situation isn't right, or the way that I handled it as a kid, and now I see my own kid handling it. Th- there's something wrong here that there, this could be fixed somehow, but I don't know how. Is that right? Yeah, or even think about it. Like, how does it feel good for us to say, "Wow, we're we're continuing the same unhealthy patterns as our as our parents did to us," or even the thought of, "What did I do wrong in my parenting that my that this is something that my kid is struggling with?" Well, and and I I guess in that final comment, my my, I wonder if that is. I know it happens, but I wonder if that's a healthy way of saying or a healthy way of approaching anything to say, uh, internalizing it and saying, I'm the cause of it. Um, and, and I had this conversation this week with some of the members where I said, you know, our our natural tendency, um, one of my members said, I thought the me generation is gone. I, I said, I thought that generation had sort of grown up. And I said, every generation is a me generation because the generation before, you know, my parents were born in uh, in the 40s. Uh, my, my mom was born in... 39 and my dad was born in the 40s and I look at that and I'm like that generation of people were my kids are a reflection of me so I'm how you act reflects back on me and then when I had my kids you know it's like their success reflects back on me I mean that's all the me generation right um so no matter what we have done in life it's all the it's, it's reflecting back on me so the parents is the stigma because my child is in need of counseling that reflects poorly on me. So is that a parent problem or a child problem? I mean, it, not not a parenting problem per se, but a parent problem. That I think it's a sin problem. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we I on think... a religious podcast and we talk about this? I thought you don't have any. I thought we don't talk about any religious things. <laughs> 
No, I, I agree. It's a sin problem. And I, I, yes, absolutely. Our, 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 our desire to not like to want to avoid those negative or feelings that just don't feel good. Like, right. It's a sin problem that started long time ago, but but one of the things, you know, and this is maybe some insight, is one of the things is every action that we do has a positive and a negative consequence. Or we gain something from that action and we lose something from that action. And this is something that, like, when I when I go over this with clients, like, they'll be like, how do I gain something from internalizing the, you know, the sadness that I feel that, like, my kids are a reflection of me? But if we think about it, the thing that is gained from that avoidance is not having to like um, not not having to put it in front of your face like a mirror, like, oh, that that comes from me. Right. So that's the gain that we can get as parents by not being willing to realize that maybe our child could benefit from some mental health treatment. It allows us to to cover up our sins. It's hard to admit that. Yeah, right. Yeah, because a lot of the the negative mental decisions that we make or those traps that we fall into are usually some avoidance issues where I don't want to I don't want to deal with what's in front of me, so I will gain myself some time by ignoring it, or I'll gain myself some time by, uh, for a parent's case, going out to the bar and drinking a lot. You know, those kinds of things. That's what you. So those are coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms that we yeah. use that are actually not coping; they're just avoiding the issues. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you you were bringing up um, talking about how how some of our teens could probably use some mental health. Uh, what do you what would you call them? Practices or, or counseling treatments of some sort. So, I would assume that uh, a person that would need that would be an at risk person of some sort. Um, or or do you or you would would you say every teen could use some mental health treatment? I think everyone can benefit from mental health treatment. Okay, adults and kids alike. So, do you deal more with at risk? I we looked at your bio and it said you you are helping with at risk. Could you walk us through like what does what makes somebody at risk, or is that or you know just walk us through what that? Sure. Means. In the in the organization that I worked at before I worked you know, before I now work at Christian Family Solutions, um, we did a lot of work with like perpetrators. And um, one of that was just like teens in probably high school, seventh or eighth grade, that were starting to have some contact with law enforcement in the in the county that I was working at. And so they would try to do some preventative therapy measures um, to help, you know, to help kind of decrease the amount of, of, I would say, adults that were, were getting into the system, into the law. So the at-risk were those people who had already started down this path of right. of making some maybe poor choices? Right. Yep. They were having some contact with law enforcement and things like that. And now would you, would you I guess, would you still consider in today's society with everything changing the way it is with mental health and, and probably the uprise in depression and things that you're seeing and anxiety that are seeing in the, in kids, especially, would you consider that, that those kids are at risk now? I mean, they're not having the connection with maybe the law enforcement so much, but they're just with society, the way that it's shifting and, and the speed with which it's shifting and how people are getting forgotten. Would, would that be a considered, 
I guess there are some indicators that, you know, that show that maybe someone is struggling with mental health issues. So I guess if you see those indicators, they could be kids that are at risk. So what are those indicators? Um, so I'll talk about indicators for teenagers specifically, but, you know, it, it wouldn't be hard to take them and kind of, you know, um, connect them to um, even in, in adulthood or whatever. But what what I and again, this is something that I talk about with the teens at the beginning of the school year, um, because I want them to to be aware themselves. Right. But um, I talk about like if they're noticing change in school performance. So I'm not saying that a C student is is also going to get a C minus. I'm talking about an A student all of a sudden starting to get C's. So you, you have to take like where they're at and then and then um, base it off of that, right? Judge, judge it off of that. Having excessive worry or fear. Um, excessive worry or fear can also lead to sleep issues. So having a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. Um, it can also lead to eating habits. So like... Um, anxiety can like lessen our appetite or depression can lessen our appetite so again it's not that they would normally eat one hamburger and and now they're eating almost all of it it's they they would usually eat three hamburgers and now they're eating one right so that kind of indicator extreme mood changes that one's hard though yeah for the the age that they're in (laughs) But that's, it's the extreme, right? It's, okay. It's, well, this is how they typically have mood changes. It's changed a lot from from those typical mood changes. Um, avoiding friends or social media or like isolating. So it's, they used to go to every football game and now I can hardly get them to go to two or one. So, so if they avoid social media, wouldn't that be a good thing? Again, it's the baseline, right? Where where's their baseline, and and how is it changing from that? But I mean, like if a, if um, I mean if your child, and I know this happens because I've been seeing it on Facebook and and some adults as well. Um, but if they just say, you know, okay, I'm done with social media. I I, I don't like what I'm. I don't like what it's making me into. That wouldn't be necessarily no, a trigger. No, that wouldn't be a trigger. It would okay. be. I can't. I, it makes me sad to look at what my friends are doing and, and that they're not inviting me. And so I'm oh. just going to get off of social media. Or, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's the intention behind it. It's, it, you know, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. You know, is the intention because I want to make myself better and I don't like the way that I'm feeling when I go on there and what I'm seeing? Or is the intent of um, no one likes me anyway, I don't get enough thumbs up right. on my page and, you know, even though uh, YouTube has taken down the, the dislike, I don't get enough likes. to So I know they dislike me, that type of. So that would be a trigger maybe of yep. depression an or indicator. something, mm-hmm. an indicator. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You you have to think about it. It's not a black, black and white, right? You, you have to think about it from, from that perspective. Um, let's see. And then probably the other thing that I talk about is we call them somatic symptoms, but it would be um, physical symptoms that present because of mental health issues. So stomach aches or headaches, um, those are probably going to be the two most common things. And again, it's 
it's it's not black and white. I mean, a, someone a, a teen may have an actual stomach ache, but right. it's every morning before school starts. Mom, I don't think I can go to school. I mean, I I was never this way, but I know. Well, I can tell you, like I'm not a swimmer, and so every Friday that we had swimming, I had a stomach ache because I didn't want to go to swimming lessons. Yeah. Right. Well, I can tell you every every morning when I had to wake up and have Latin. As first class in in the university, I had a headache. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then it came back with Greek. <laughs> do you find that um, what it, what do you find is the major cause of anxiety? Or you know, we talked about all these triggers uh, in in teens in Northeast Wisconsin. Yeah, so anxiety specifically. Um, I kind of came up with two things that that kind of seem to I come across a lot. And we're going to kind of hit that social media thing again, right? Like the social media comparison trap. It's the filters that are out there or the ability to make thing, things look like other people's lives are perfect. Well, it's isn't that because most people only want to put the good things on social media? Right. So it's not the the true self, right? Well, I had heard, I and and maybe you see this um, in in your counseling, but I had heard um, from an article that that kids have a like a, a social media page that is for the public, and then they have a like a back social media page that is only for the close friends that really they get to tell what's going on. Do you do you see that in your? I don't know that I hear about that a lot. Yeah, I've never seen, I've never heard of that either. Yeah, I did, that I'd heard I, that there I, was. I just, it to me, it's it's surprising that they'd actually be using Facebook because there's so many other social media things that they can be using. Well, no, not that I'm not saying that it was just Facebook. It was that they would have oh. a, they would have like a, a, um, like a, a, a public, chapter. yeah, mm-hmm. public presence where they would have everything that was. Look at me, I'm so glamorous, that kind of stuff. And then they would have the background one where it was only for the one or two people that they're really close to. And and they could say what they really wanted to say, so so social media was one source of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's the other one? And I, you know, just to give an example of that, I have a funny story, and I think I can share this because my husband will laugh about it. But we um we have an international student that lives with us. Um, we and then we have a son and a daughter, and um, my husband's the shortest of the boys, and so we're getting ready for, or they were getting ready for the winter dance, and like my husband got a stool and stood on it. Because he wanted to be the tallest. <laughs> and, you know, when you take the picture, he looks the tallest. Right. Why? Because you don't see the stool in the picture, you right? Sure? And and that's kind of that example of, like, I can do what I need to do to make it look like how, how I want it to look. Sure. So appearances, um, though. Yeah. And then yep. you said there was another cause yep. of anxiety? Um, I, I would say negative thinking. Okay. Negative thinking. And I can I can see it manifest in different ways um perfectionism um it probably the negative thinking that's how you know it also connects to that social media like right like my life is good enough i don't have as many friends um but like god didn't make us all the same right and that's what makes it difficult it's okay like you don't need as many friends but because social media because society Maybe that's a better way to say it. Society values certain things. The people that have, you know, are, are built different. 
they they feel like they are missing out. Well, and I guess, you know, this is one of those things my, my brother went through um, later on in his life, kind of went through some mental health issues and he had to go in for counseling. And that was one of the things that I know that was brought up and he had he had brought to the family that that um, he had lived the, the, the majority of his life under the shadow of I went to school, I had to accomplish, I had to do, I had to learn the way that the school was teaching me to learn and he couldn't. Um, he had learning disabilities that that prohibited him from doing that sort sort of thing, and <clears throat> he it, it created a stigma in him that this is how I have to be, but I can't be that way. And then when he got out, he he ended up joining the military, and the military threw him into a shop class and told him take apart an engine, and he's like, all right, and he took apart an engine without reading the book and put it back together with some other parts, but it worked. <laughs> and so, but, but I, but I, I think I understand what you're saying in the sense that, that there's a perfectionism that I think we create within our society because we want everybody to have a standard and we try to get everybody to reach that standard. And there are some people that, and I'm not trying to belittle anybody. That's not what I'm, I'm trying to say. Each person has their own gifts and not everybody is going to be a fabulous reader and not everybody is going to be the intellectual and not everybody is going to be the mathematician when we're in the society of of let's push STEM research and things of that nature. Not every, you know, some people are, are destined to be the garbage men and do it very, very well and love their job. And some are destined to be the carpenter and, and you know, whatever the case may be. Um so do you think that some of that negative thinking, this brings up to my question, do you think some of that negative thinking is not necessarily their fault, but it's because this perfectionism is pushed onto them by a, a system that says you have to fit into this mold. This is the mold of the system that we want so that we can gauge where you are. I definitely talk with my clients about societal values and how they can differ from biblical values. And, you know, we work on finding their truth. And I find that when when people are able to find their truth, like, you know, a lot of the anxiety or the worry decreases or the sadness around not right, not being able to meet whatever that negative thinking they have. And again, it goes back to the devil right like the devil knows exactly what negative thoughts we all need to be thinking <laughs> so, so yeah when you say like their their truth you mean the idea of god has given them gifts and god has given them a calling right. that's what's true not what society says is that what you're saying right Okay. Yep. I was just going to say, I'm like, because I mean, I think people like to use that word, your truth and, and mean that it's, it's, it can be your own, whatever morals you want, whatever lifestyle you want, whatever, fill in the blank and, and say whatever you want. But I don't think that's what you're saying. No. Yeah. It, it's, and that's one of the reasons I love working for Christian Family Solutions because you have, we have so many people that are looking for that type of, um, you know, addition to therapy. And so it's real easy to say, let's look at it from from what the Bible says, or what does God say in the Bible. There's actually a book out there that I like to recommend called The Lies We Believe. Um, and it, I think we did a study on that, didn't we? Oh, that was another one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it talks a lot, you know, it's it's not it's not Wells-based, but it, the book isn't. But the, the author basically takes common lies that we as humans believe and then uses the Bible to back up what are the, what are the biblical truths of those lies. Well, and and I I like the way that this <clears throat> this 
part of the conversation is going just in the sense that I think we in our society confuse um, our gifts and how we are set up to have different gifts to do different things in life. And we confuse that with um, how sometimes people say, well, God told you, or, or we give the impression God forces you to do this and that, but he doesn't. He gives the general, he says, here's how, how we should treat each other. Here is how we should live. Here is how... Um, uh, how God desires our life to be in Christ at the foot of the cross and, and offering forgiveness. And then how do you live in that in service to someone else is going to be different than someone else's way of, of doing that. Um, and, you know, I think there there is something to be said about um, being able to split that up and saying, okay, God has general standards for how we treat each other. And then God also gives you freedom <laughs> in the gospel to be a person in service to someone else in these different ways. Um, and I think that would, my personal opinion relieves a lot of that perfectionism because. Right. Because then you're not comparing yourself to how everybody, what everybody else's gifts are. You're saying these are the gifts God has given me. So how am I going to work on those, you know, to, to give the most glory to God, right? You have someone that has a very strong musical talent. You don't want them trying to be the best sports, the best athlete, Right. right. You want them to, to see their value in the fact that God gave them the musical get you know, the musical gifts and vice versa. If some if he's given someone athletic talent or ability, they want to focus on that. They don't wanna but what what's happening is they look and say, Well, so and so made this elite singing group, why can't I? Well, it's because God gave you the gifts to be a, a really good athlete, or vice versa. I, I wish I could be in every sport. And I'm not making the team. So, so this actually it just came into my head as a question following that. Is there is there do you see in 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 teens maybe especially this stigma of um, there are certain people in school that are really good. Why can't I be really good? Um, that same thing. Yeah, or, or or really good. You know, like like. Everybody should be able to, I, I guess, I, sorry about it, me not formulating it very well. My wife does this, where every now and then we'll hear like a singer and she'd be like, well, I could do that. But you can't. <laughs> you know, like, well, she's not that good. I could sing like that. And I'm like, but you, you can't. <laughs> and I'm wondering if is that a problem in the teens where they look at like maybe the, not everybody's going to be a superstar. You know, not everyone's going to be a professional athlete or, sure. or whatever. But have we have we conformed our society to look at those people and say you can because you can be anything you want to be, and has that created us like a loop that that and and just the societal values right like you want to be the best athlete now someone that is really good for at caring for people right how is society valuing that. Right. They're not getting their pictures up on the billboards and stuff like that. And so society kind of can set those standards. And we talk about that a lot, you know, like let's figure out what your standards are or what your, you know, what is the biblical values or standards and let's speak truth from there. So that, that then brings up um, further on in our conversation. <clears throat> when you have a, um, a system or a institution that has, higher values uh, as its background. So we're going to, let's just use um, the Lutheran high school, any one of our Lutheran high schools as, as the standard. 
do you find more people with mental health coming out of those institutions or or is it like um, like wow those are better <laughs> people are seem to be a little bit more well adjusted yeah and that's a really good question you know i think that satan is everywhere so i don't you know because i spent 3 days in in a lutheran high school i don't get as much exposure to kids in the public school system um i think there's more exposure to to things that we don't want our kids to be exposed to but i think mental health stuff is everywhere so that you don't you wouldn't say that there's necessarily a difference between um kids in the lutheran school or kids in any private school with more structure as opposed to another i think that I think that we could maybe make the point that they are a little more well-adjusted because they have that biblical background, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. Okay, sure. I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, yeah. You you would expect pastors not to struggle with depression because they they are in the Word all the time, but yet that's what we see because the devil isn't going to leave us alone or our sinful nature isn't going to leave us alone. Or our people don't leave us alone. Uh, people, <laughs> in some <laughs> cases, our people not leaving us alone. There's all, and and uh, all the trauma that you know, pastors uh, deal with. So, and I can imagine with teens, it's even more so because they're, they don't have their vocation yet. They don't have their calling yet. They're just trying to f- find their way in the world. And uh, they're looking for the parameter not in, found in Christ, but found in where am I in my society, my little society here at the school? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, we've we've kind of looked at crisis. Um, I you had made a question, and and I don't know if your your necessarily your focus is is uh, PTSD, um, but we I know that was when we were talking about mental health. PTSD is is another one that we hear probably on our pastor side. You know, people claim that they have PTSD because the Packers lost. Um, <laughs> whatever. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about um, what is true PTSD? I know this may not be necessarily on your spectrum of what you deal with, but could you maybe help a little bit with that before we, we move on to prevention? Yeah, and and actually, one of my specialties is trauma and PTSD. That's where that EMDR okay. that acronym comes from. Just kind of being trained in how how to help people who. Um, have trauma backgrounds. Yeah, so we have a, like a diagnostic, the, the, the easiest way to answer that is, you know, clinicians have a diagnostic manual that sets out the criteria for being able to diagnose with any any diagnosis. So I can't meet with a client and say, you know, oh yeah, you, you have generalized anxiety disorder because you're worrying a lot. Like there's multiple criteria that have to be met and it's the same way with PTSD. And um, the probably the, the hardest criteria in that manual for PTSD is that you have to have experienced some sort of life-threatening or be exposed to some sort of life-threatening event or something like that. And I don't think if the Packers lose... <laughs> <laughs> that qualifies. That qualifies as, a, as, as experiencing or being exposed to a life-threatening event. So I, I can imagine if you're in a setting where a uh, uh, teen is involved with law enforcement, that you would have a lot more PTSD things that wouldn't be so much in, the, in the, our Lutheran high school. Is that correct? 
Or would you say, well, I suppose there's doesn't matter where you come from. The devil isn't going to let us alone. That doesn't mean you're going to have a traumatic event in the home as well. So I guess I correct my own question. I, I probably wouldn't. I'm not going to find the diagnosis of PTSD as much in, in teens in the high school. But then there's another part of it, which is trauma triggers. That maybe you have some trauma triggers that, that maybe you can't be diagnosed specifically PTSD, but that doesn't mean that those trauma triggers aren't affecting or impacting your life. Well, and I would say that, uh, I mean, that's kind of a timely topic, right? Especially with what just happened in Texas. I mean, you probably have a lot of those kids who weren't in the vicinity of where the gun the gunman was shooting, but they would have trauma triggers, I would assume, right? right? They weren't part of the, I saw him, he was firing, and the bullet hit the wall right above my head. Right. That would maybe be PTSD. Where it, it could it could turn into it, and that's kind of where, if we go all the way back to the very beginning, you know, about that original, like comment that you said about why you know just get over it or whatever. Like there, and these are the gifts like that God has given us. Some people just have the capacity to be able to just move on, and others can't. And so right. it doesn't mean that those kids that were in that situation will, for certain, have trauma triggers some of them can have them but some may be fine and that's where we get to that point of like what you were talking before how do we know when something's becoming a problem well let's talk about that how do we know because i think um myself as a parent of younger kids i have a 13 year old who is now um starting to hit the my moods are changing all the time (laughs) And social media is a big thing and he has to connect with everybody and all the time. Um, what are some of the, I guess, what are what are some good takeaway things that we can say, okay, as a parent, as a pastor, as a maybe even a teacher, we can say, I'm going to look out for X, Y, and Z. And, and maybe we talked a little bit about it when you had the indicators for teens, but is there anything, uh, any other kind of maybe things that a parent can look out for and say, I want to look at this and, and maybe maybe get them in for some help before it becomes a problem. Yeah, I would say the, the indicators that we talked about earlier are probably going to be the biggest things that a parent can look for. Um, another thing is just keep trying. Maybe Maybe the word is trying to keep the lines of communication open, even at that age. And... What I find the most is that kids want to feel heard. So we may not exactly agree with what they're saying, but if we're if we're dismissive to them all the time, they're going to learn, like, I don't go to mom and dad to talk about these things. So dismissive in the sense of, um, I don't want to hear you, or dismissive in the sense of, quit talking about that, because I guess, what do you mean by dismissive? Either. Or I'm, I'm busy, I'm making dinner right now, or I've got this thing. And it doesn't mean that, like, maybe you're in the middle of something important, but it's, I, I really want to hear what you have to say, but I'm just at a place where, like, I'm, I'm not at a good place where I can stop what I'm doing, so can I, can I come and talk to you about it later? Or it's the, why are you feeling that way? Or, you know, like, diminishing, like, where their thoughts are, where their feelings are. Like, yeah, that's got to be hard. You know, like, again, we're going... We've been through that. We've lived through it. We know you're going to be fine. That's not what they really need to hear. Well, now I have to rethink all my parenting choices. (laughs) That's always a good thing, isn't it? They need to reevaluate. They need to hear. Yeah, I can. I can because we can put ourselves back in that time, and we can know that it was hard for us, even though now we're we're beyond it, and we know that we lived through it. 
they what they need to hear is yeah that that would be really hard and hey let me talk to you about like i was there at one point but well, they, don't, they don't want to be dismissed yeah uh, well i'm just thinking of past conversations with my own son now and how many times i said yep been there done that and i walked away <laughs> and now you're telling me i was wrong <laughs> i'm not saying it's wrong I have to go back to my coping mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> avoid, avoid, avoid. Avoid. <laughs> Just quit talking about it. <laughs> Change the subject. Make a joke. But, yeah. but you know, I'm talking about this in the context of you want to keep those lines of communication open so that they come to you and they're, and they're able to say, like, I'm really having a hard time sleeping at night. Or, you know, I, I had some thoughts that maybe I don't I don't want to be in the world anymore. Like, that's, that's why the lines of communication are important. So I, I guess following those lines of communication um, and, and maybe just helpful tips, um, as a parent, I've, I've kind of felt that it's my duty to regulate um, how many social media things my son gets on and, and what kind of social media things he gets on. And my wife has felt that it's always good that I should follow my child on social media. Um, do you have thoughts on, on that when it comes to um, trying to keep a pulse on what's being said and how it's being said with our kids in these areas um, as, a, as a help for, for being a parameter for mental health? Yeah, I think that's really difficult because there are things out there that we can't even keep up on as parents. I know that can be a little scary. I know I can sit there and be scared. Um, but, you know, you even talked about them having like a public um, social media account and then a private so who's to say that they're not going to accept you on their public account and then they aren't you don't even know that they have a private account so the, it's just so vast that i think that you just have to and then again i'm going to go back to that line lines of communication right um you want to you want to know that they're going to feel comfortable with you coming you know coming to you and saying hey i need, i have something big that i want to talk to you about sure. my my personal policy with my kids is that like I get access to any any electronic thing that I want, right? And I mean, I yes. will tell you that my my son for sure has lost his phone for a couple of days because he won't he changed his password without telling me, and I I wasn't going to give it back until he gave me the password, and I didn't feel guilty or bad. Yeah, and I think we try to do that as well in the house, and and but I think the the um, I. I the not feeling guilty as the parent to do what needs to be done so that, that we're trying to keep it open and say, I'm not trying to snoop into your stuff. I don't, I don't want to control your life, but I, I have to, as a parent, be able to at any time know what's going on because I care about you Mm -hmm. and, and not feel guilty about that. Because I know, I know my wife blames me and says that you're the one that all this technology stuff and then whenever we have to discipline the kids you're like well do they really have to have it taken away because you know i like my tech toys too um and and so i'm a i'm a big culprit of that but but i feel guilty you know take my my kids phone away and they're moping around the house i'm like man i think more i'm annoyed that they're moping around the house yeah (laughs) parenting is not easy and I will say, I, I will say it's not my job to be your your best friend. It's my job to be your parent. And sometimes I have to make choices that are going to make both you and I feel uncomfortable, but I know it's for your best good, and so I'm going to do it. Very good. These are a lot of good pointers for parents in dealing with their teens. And, uh, and 
my the next thing I wanted to talk about was the Christian church and the teens within that church. And and I have two questions for you. One was what does how what does the Christian church do well when it comes to teen mental health, and w- in what areas can it improve? Yeah, this is you know I don't know that I have the most insight into like the inner workings of the Christian church. I can just look at it from like how I see it from like um, my work in at Christian Family Solutions. And I feel like one of the things that we keep talking about at Christian Family Solutions is how many churches are utilizing our MAP services. MAP stands for Member Assistance Program. It's basically um, an EAP version of therapy, like where a work, you know, your workplace will give you three, four, five sessions for free to go see a therapist. Um, any Christian church or Christian organization can sign up for MAP services with um, Christian Family Solutions, and then the church will provide the the monetary funds for those um, sessions. Yeah, and, and I can say that our, our congregation is a part of the MAP program, but one of the things that I have found that's, uh, that, that the council said, and this is on just the council side, um, do you open that up to the members? Because if you open it up to the members, that could be a lot of money really quick. Um, and and that, that becomes this the, that secondary question, right? It's a good system, but is that... Uh, I think it's... Can it, can just, it be sustainable? It just depends on how... What value the church is putting on it, right? We, we have some churches that are very liberal with it. I, I, you know, I think the intention behind it is that the, the congregation members reach out to, to their pastor and they try to, you know, work through the things with their pastor. But if the pastor realizes, like, it's just above their training level or maybe it's going to take more time than, than what they can afford, then that's when that referral to the MAP, um, to the MAP program would be for. And it's meant to be short term. So, right, like an EAP is two, three, four, five sessions, and then and then you would continue on with your insurance, and that's mm. kind of the same concept with MAP. Is we will authorize, and that's the thing. Like the the church says, this is how many sessions we're willing to pay for, two, three, four, um, and then and then beyond that, it's up to you to to decide: Are you benefiting from therapy? Then you would have to move to insurance. Or there's times that they say we think we've gotten enough in those four or five sessions that we can we don't have to continue. I like that approach. Yeah. Would Would you say that most of the the map sessions would be more of a the giving a strategy for looking at evaluating what's going on and saying okay how the, how is this impacting my life good and bad and then and implementing a strategy and a reframe of the issue rather than the current frame that was causing the anxiety or causing a difficulty in the family or difficulty among those that you would have those troubleshooting reframes that help them equip um, God's people to, or anybody who's affiliated with the church and the MAP program uh, to move forward. Right. Yep. That can be, it can also be a, like, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of an assessment and saying like, you, you probably need a higher level of care, whether it be, um, like an intensive outpatient group or um, inpatient therapy or 
residential. So I guess maybe for our listeners, as we, we come close to the, we got about five minutes or so, um, and we do appreciate all the time that you've given, and this is a very timely and important topic. Um, I feel very, very comfortable uh, and uh, to send people who need help to a Christian counselor because they're going to get, like we've talked about, yep, main problem, sin. Um, yeah, you know, this is, you get to live with that. But here's Jesus, and now how do we move forward? And so Christian counseling, I think, is is just a fundamental. Um, can you, for our listeners who maybe have had zero connection with um, Christian Family Solutions, sort of give an idea of what types of things you could help the family with? Um, like, what do they offer on the level of help um, that, that if they're saying, I think I need that, I can go here? Sure. I'm really going to start at the bottom and tell you that I've had parents, I'm going to use this example, parents who bring their child in saying, I, I want to just make sure that everything is going okay. And there's been two or three times that I've said, I don't see any indicators, right? I don't see any symptoms that would make me say that he, this person would have to continue in therapy. So like my thought is if, if there's a question, there's nothing wrong with reaching out, even if you meet with a therapist for one time. But if we go back kind of like to those indicators, right, it's going to be some of those things and you can take those and you can apply those in, in adult terms, I guess. Um, if there's a lot of conflict in the household or a lot of tension, that kind of goes back to that intergenerational pattern that continues over and over and over. So, you know, we'll take a look at that. It's just, it's kind of looking back and saying, I don't want to pass this along or this, you know, every night we're all storming off to our own rooms and, and slamming doors. Like, it's just not a fun place to live. Or I I can't get any sleep at night because, like, I'm thinking too much. It's it's anything like that. So so does uh, Family Solution offer just counseling or do they offer um, um, psychotherapists? They offer... Uh, I don't know what the other terms would be that you know, the psychologists, psychologists yeah. things of that nature. Do they offer the whole gambit of what you could find in, in, in a secular type? Yes, we do. Um, <clears throat> we have, yep. We have therapists, which would be kind of like be the psychotherapist. We have psychologists, we have psychiatrists, and then we have um, prescribing providers as well, which are typically for us nurse practitioners. So, which is really nice, right? If I'm working with a client and they're saying, I think I just want to try some medication. Yep, let me make this referral for you over to our prescribing provider. Wonderful. So so really a family who, who might be in need, um, depending on whatever part of the scale they're on, they could find it there and, and be assured that, okay, we have, a, we have a Christian organization that can help you so that you stay focused to to what is really important with Jesus in your life and yet will get you the help you need. Right. And we offer different levels of care as well. So it can just be like the you come in once a week or it's the more intensive stuff. Um, we even have a strong program where we go into the schools in the um, ur urban area in Milwaukee. There's we just we're we're a hugely growing organization. Good. And the website is? www.christianfamilysolutions.org. So even if you're not in the Northeast Wisconsin area, there's just some. There's also a thing called uh, telehealth. Can you tell us more about that? So it doesn't matter which state they're in. 
Yeah, that that is a little bit more complicated than that. We we get licensed in states. Mm. Um, different different states have different requirements, and so um, we would need to make sure that the therapist is licensed in the state that they're practicing. Oh, okay. Where the person is living. Like, so <laughs> going to ChristianFamilySolutions.org, that'll help filter what services can be done in which state. Yep, yep. You call the 1-800 number and the intake team knows all that information. But one of the ways that we do provide sometimes across state lines is through that member assistance program. Oh, okay. So we if the church is part of the member assistance program, does that then sort we're, of we're cross able, that? Yep, we're able to see, you know, so like I'm licensed in Wisconsin. I could meet with someone in Minnesota. Okay, through the member assistance program. Through the member assistance program, once it moved to insurance, since I'm not licensed in Minnesota, um, then I would not be able to continue. Then we would look for someone in Minnesota who's licensed in Minnesota to work with them. Okay. So, wonderful. I think you have a, um, a wonderful job that you do in, in a practice. So thank you very much for, for everything that you bring to the people that you work with. Thank you for your time talking with us because I think it helps, at least in a time when I look at people and I say, well, I could just say you're kind of nuts. Um, and move on and not think about it. Um, maybe giving a little bit more time, at least for me, that's that's my takeaway. Give uh, a little bit more time to this. Yeah, my takeaway is that life is filled with anxieties and all kinds of diff- things that can bring us down. Look at all the cool tools we have. We have our pastors who will help us. We have our Christian family solutions who can help us, give us strategies, and also, most importantly, give us Jesus as we are living our real life and having that living faith fed through uh, Jesus and his word.